If you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter number 28. St. Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter number 28. Most everyone enjoys seeing something done great. You may watch football or baseball or uh, certain types of music or musicians. Or you may uh, see certain things or have interest in golf or, or something like that. And if I hadn't hit yours, maybe it's car racing or maybe it's skateboards or, or, or who knows, hacky sack. I don't care. But you want to see things done very well. Nobody goes and buys a ticket to go hear a mediocre musician. Nobody goes and buys a ticket to go watch a mediocre uh, 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 athlete perform. Unless, of course, you're their parent and then you don't care if they're any good. You're going to give them a ribbon and ice cream no matter what they do. But if, you, if, you, if, if it's not your child, you want to see somebody do something very, very well. We're always wanting to see greatness. We're always wanting to see somebody do something uh, uh, extreme. We want to see home runs. We want to hear the best solo, see the best golf shot. But the problem is what we get to see in those moments is only about 10% of what really takes place. You see an iceberg in the ocean. The kind of things that sink boats and break off from uh, uh, different things up north and, and move down different glaciers and stuff like that. What we see of an iceberg, experts say that we only see about 10% of the iceberg and 90% of it is below the surface. The weighty part, the heavy part of the iceberg is below the surface where it cannot be seen, but it is the thing that stabilizes the iceberg. There's some icebergs that are small. There's others that are as big as islands that are just floating around. And I've seen uh, animals on them. I've seen people get out of boats, you know, on the Discovery Channel or whatever. I've seen people get out of boats and explore them and walk around them. And they're humongous. But the the thing is only 10% of what you see or we're only seeing. 10% of what the iceberg is. That's because the stabilizing factor for that iceberg is what you do not see. Well, it's the same thing with an athlete or a musician. Uh, Whenever they go to do something... Whenever they uh, purpose to become the greatest soccer player in the world. We're in the middle of the World Cup right now. We're all watching the World Cup and we're, we're trying to see what's the, who's going to be the best of the best of the best. But what we see is only a fragment of the time that those athletes have spent preparing for that moment. What you can't see is what stabilizes. Tiger Woods did not become Tiger Woods one day. He just woke up and decided he was going to grab a golf club. No, Tiger Woods became Tiger Woods with countless hours on a driving range hitting shot after shot the 90 percent that we don't see is what stabilizes greatness it's the same thing in your life and in my life you know if you're an attorney you went to school and then after you went to school you went to law school and then you got done with that and then all of a sudden you have to pass a test called the bar exam and whenever you pass the bar exam you're now able to practice law doesn't say you're able to do law. Doesn't say you're able to perform law. You're able to practice law. That's because practice makes perfect. And it's the same thing in your Christian walk. You and me, the 10% that everybody gets to see is not the stabilizing factor in our life. It's the 90% below the surface that nobody else is going to see except you and God. 
It's the time that you decide I'm going to pray when I don't feel like it. It's the time when you decide I'm not going to not read my Bible because I don't feel like it. It's the time when you decide I'm going to uh, continue to pray and persevere and believe God for this loved one even though they're still acting just as crazy as they ever did. It's the 90% below the surface where somebody says, I'm an intercessor. Well, an intercessor doesn't intercede in front of a bunch of people. That's the things that happens in the dead of the night when nobody else hears and nobody else knows. It's the 90% of your effort that's below the surface, but it's the thing in your life that stabilizes you. It's the thing in your life that holds you steady, that keeps you accessible. You know, there was a great uh, piano player one time, and he said it like this. He said, if I miss one day's practice, I notice. If I miss two days practice, the critics notice. But if I miss three days practice, the audience will notice. No matter where you get in God, no matter how far along you are, you could be walking in the throne room and coming out glowing, but the bottom line is you still have to practice what you preach. You have to walk what you talk. This whole idea of Christianity being something that happens on a Sunday and Wednesday is so convoluted and upside down, it's not even funny. Christianity is the 90% that nobody sees. The 10% is when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you don't get out and tell them how much you don't like their polka dot shirt. That's you being nice. That's you not returning evil for evil. That's the 10% that is paid for in the 90% on your knees when you're saying, God, give me a better attitude. God, give me a spirit like you. God, help me to forgive the way you forgive me. The 90% that you can't see. You see, it's what we practice that we get good at. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 28, Matthew chapter number 28 verse 19, I'm going to read in the the New English translation. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, God, for being with us. Therefore go and make disciples. Disciple is a word that in the church world gets kicked around but very often utilized. Disciple means disciplined one. One translation says this. It says it is a convinced adherence to a school or an individual, a thought process or an individual. Disciple comes from the word disciplined. Disciplined one. Discipline is is not a four-letter word. It's not a bad thing for us to be disciplined. Come on, somebody. It's not a bad thing for us to be disciplined. I know it's Sunday morning, but I'm going to teach a Wednesday night message if that's okay. It's not a bad thing for us to be disciplined. Meaning whenever you feel like flying off the handle and telling them exactly what's on your mind, it is discipline that stops you from doing it. It is deciding you're going to do right even though you don't feel like doing right. Muhammad Ali, arguably one of the greatest boxers that ever lived, said this. He said, I hated every single minute of training, but I hated losing worse. You see, it's discipline that gets you out of bed in the morning. It's discipline that gets you to a place where you believe God for something that you know you're not capable of accomplishing on your own. It's discipline that allows you to believe God in the face of adversity when your loved ones are still doing crazy things, saying crazy things, and hanging around crazy people. It's discipline that continues to let you speak truth, faith, and life into that situation. Discipline. It is a practice of a life that is disciplined and focused that gives 
gives you the opportunity to change. It is a life that says, I understand what I see now, but I also understand that I see through a glass darkly, which means I do not always see the whole picture, but the Bible says that God sees the end from the beginning. The Bible says that God's plans for us, for you and for me, are for good. So in this process, while I go through this stage where I can't see exactly where I'm going and I can't understand exactly what I'm experiencing, I'm going to choose to be disciplined because one of the last things Jesus said before he ascended into heaven was go and make disciples. It's one thing to uh, uh, be saved. It's a whole nother animal to be a disciple. When you decide that I'm going to be disciplined in the things of God, you better get ready because here's the scenario. The devil didn't like you before and when he starts seeing that you're disciplined, he really doesn't like you then. And I'm not trying to give you bad news. I'm just telling you in the midst of the bad news, he's there. Let's look at one of the disciples and then we'll just kind of move forward that way. Uh, Peter, one of, the, one of the greatest disciples, one of the original 12, which by the way, Jesus had hundreds of disciples that followed him around. But there's 12 notable disciples that we pay attention to very closely in Scripture. But the interesting thing is even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lost almost 10% of his disciples. He lost one out of 12, Judas. So in your life, when you live for God, please understand you cannot take everybody with you where you're going. There's going to be some people that will fall off. There's going to be some people that will drag up and say, I can't can't go that way. I don't don't think that's what God wants for me. I don't whatever. Now listen, their calling is their calling and their information is their information. But at the same time, do not think that you are called to roll in the mud with the pigs. You are called to soar and mount up with wings like eagles. So along the way of your life, you've got to get comfortable. And and here's another little uh, piece of great news on a Sunday morning. It's going to hurt. When they stick a knife in your back, guess what? It's going to hurt. When Judas betrayed Jesus, guess what? It hurt. When Jesus lost Lazarus, we know that, that Jesus has feelings just like you and me. Because when one of his really good friends dies, the Bible says he cried. Jesus has feelings, just like you and me. And there's going to be people in your life that, that you're going to be saying, man, we're going to be uh, the best of friends forever. And man, we just think the same, blah, blah, blah. And then they're going to find out that you speak in other tongues. Boy, it gets quiet in here. They find out that you speak in other tongues, that you lay hands on the sick, and you believe what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, they're going to start thinking, uh, you know what, I don't know if I want to go that far with it. Well, well, how far is too far with the Word of God? Because I just want to experience everything that's in it. Amen. If Jesus paid for it, I'd just as soon walk in it. I don't want him to have taken one stripe, one lash on his back in vain. But So you're going to lose some people, but, but that's okay. We're going to gain a lot more. Amen? So uh, Peter, he's sitting there and he's fishing one day. And Jesus is preaching and preaching a great message, I'm sure. And he says, Peter, uh, I need to borrow your boat. I'm going to push the boat out a little bit so I can preach to all these people on the beach because they can't really see me. Peter says, great, jump in, preacher man. And he gets in the boat and he pushes it out and he preaches a great sermon. uh, Has a huge altar call. All kind of people get saved. It's an amazing event. Uh, And all of a sudden, uh, Peter looks over at Jesus. uh, Jesus looks over at Peter and says, hey, hey, Peter, uh, thank you for sowing into my kingdom. Thank you for letting me use your resources, your boat, 
Now allow me to multiply your seed sown into my kingdom. He says, throw your nets right here. And Peter goes, well, preacher man, listen. I really appreciate you. Matter of fact, you can use my boat anytime. But I am a fisherman. I have been fishing my whole life. As you can see, I'm a successful fisherman. I own several boats. I fished all night. The fish just are not here today. And by the way, the fish aren't even here this time of day. It's too hot for them. But but either way, just because you said it, I will let down a net. Jesus told him, put your nets down. And Peter says, I'll let down a net. He drops the net. And immediately so many fish get in that net that Peter can't even pull it in. And it starts to break his net. God will give you a net-busting blessing on your life. All he's asking for is obedience. So Peter goes on. So Peter goes on and he sees the blessing. And he realizes, wait a minute. This is not a normal person in my boat. And he falls on his face and he says, Jesus, you have to get away from me. I'm a sinner. I'm not like you. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. I cuss. I lie. I'll be honest with you. uh, You know, sometimes I I tell people that that I caught a fish this big and it was only really this big. Because he's a fisherman. I know he does that. My little boy does that. (laughs) He's five. (laughs) Makes me so proud. (laughs) My little girl started to do it. Trinity. She She tried to pick the fish up. But instead of picking them up, she just wants to touch their eye. I don't know. Can you say that in church? So anyway, Peter says, you got to get away from me, Jesus. I'm not like you. And Peter, Jesus could have said to him, you're right. You're not worth the air in my lungs, you wicked, nasty human. But instead, he said, Peter, follow me. You see, it wasn't Peter's righteousness that caused Peter to realize who God was. It was Jesus' righteousness and capacity that caused Peter to understand who Jesus was. In your life and in my life, it's so important that we always remember that it's not who we are that calls us, but it's who He is that calls us. Jesus' actions are what astonished Peter not Peter's. Later in the ministry of Jesus, uh, around Matthew chapter number 14, the Bible says that Jesus uh, is sitting there and he hears about uh, uh, John the Baptist, his friend, uh, his cousin, who was, who was killed. He hears about him being murdered. He hears about his head getting cut off. And the Bible says that he goes to a desert place and he begins to heal everybody. Now here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus heard about John the Baptist and heard about the fact that he was killed and he was concerned because if they were going to kill John the Baptist, they might kill some of his other disciples and some of his other people. So, and some of his other people. So he went to a, a, a private, he went to a desert place, he went out in the middle of nowhere knowing that the people who followed him would follow him out there and thus be safe. And he was so stirred up on the inside that he just started healing everybody. He said, I'm so sick of this place. I'm sick of 
of the sin. I'm sick of the hurt. I'm sick of people coming against my people. I'm sick of all this. And he just started healing people. Bam, bam, bam. Heal. Bang, bang, bang. Heal. Bang, bang, bang. Healing everybody. And then all of a sudden it gets to be evening time. And, and, and Peter looks at him and says, Jesus, now listen, it's evening time. And we're here in the middle of nowhere. And there's no Taco Bell. There's no McDonald's. There's no Burger King. Uh, there is a Chick-fil-A, but it's Sunday. So we can't eat Chick-fil-A today. He says, he says, we, we got to send these people off so they can get something to eat. Because this is almost, it's almost nighttime, Jesus. We got to let them go. And Jesus, you know, he didn't just go, okay, Peter, that's a good idea. Let them go. No, he said, well, why don't you guys just feed them something? And I can just see Jesus. And again, uh, allow me to just kind of run with this for a minute. But I could imagine Jesus being stirred up. He just found out his friend died. And he is starting to wreck the gates of hell with miracles. He's starting to outpour on his people. He's so frustrated. He's tired uh, of the devil taking these things. He knows John the Baptist in heaven with his dad. But he's just sick of the hurt and pain that's being caused here. And he says, well, why don't you guys just feed him? And they said, well, we don't have anything to feed them except a couple little fish and a few pieces of bread. And Jesus said, bring it to me. And he blesses it, breaks it, and feeds everybody there. And then most of the time, whenever Jesus gets done teaching, the Bible would say that he would uh, uh, leave or he would get in the midst of them and just kind of walk away. And I don't know if he would really vanish, but a lot of times he would just kind of leave in the multitude. And the multitude would just be sitting there going, where'd Jesus go? But in this situation, Jesus tells the disciples, go get in your boat and go to the other side and I will meet you, but I'm going to stay here with the people until they're all gone. Did you know when times get tough, when they start killing Christians like they did John the Baptist, when things get hard, that's when Jesus says, listen guys, y'all go ahead, I'm staying with the people. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will supply your needs according to His riches and glory. He will take you to a pleasant place. Come on somebody, He will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. They're all trying to kill them. They're all trying to come against Christians. And Jesus goes, they can all shout and scream. Let's have a fish fry. He's not like a man that doesn't flow in the supernatural. He's overwhelming in every way. So he tells the disciples, go across, guys, and I'll meet you there. And as they're going across, the Bible says that a great storm comes up in the middle of the night and the waves are really rough and they start to get scared. And here comes Jesus walking on the water to ride in the boat. And they see him from afar and they don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. And they said, oh my goodness, a ghost. Jesus goes, no guys, it's me, Jesus. And Peter goes, if it's really you, Jesus, let me come out there and walk on the water with you. Now he's starting to believe that these things and greater shall you do. Peter's starting to test the waters. He's starting to practice the faith that Jesus told him about whenever he was in a boat. And he simply said, follow me. You see, he found out when he slung his foot over the side of that boat and when his foot should have just submerged in the water. I fell through an attic not too long ago. And and that must have been what Peter was kind of half expecting, you know, just to go through it. You know what I mean? Have you ever stepped on water and thought, man, I'll maybe try to walk on this stuff. It's not normal. So Peter's mind is probably playing a thousand tricks on him to try to figure out, Peter, there's no way you can walk on water. No way. And I can just see Peter sitting there going, but Jesus said, come here. But Jesus said, come here. I'm going. Boom. And he goes, wait a minute. Throws the other leg over. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then he realized. He looked at the waves and said, I'm 
doing it. And he began to sink. You see, when you put your eyes on the problem, and the minute you start to take any of the glory from the one who is empowering you, it becomes vapor in your hands. He begins to sink. Of course, Jesus saves him like Jesus would do because Jesus is so good. But he goes on and he realizes he's not just the God who told him to follow me. He's the God who empowered him to follow him. Later on, of course, uh, Peter, who, who we can all relate to, He's sitting there and they're all having the Last Supper, which by the way, uh, this next Sunday is Communion Sunday at New Heights. That's a powerful time. Uh, It's one of the few times that we can do exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to receive Holy Communion next week. Uh, I'd make plans to be here if I could. But anyway, they're sitting there and they're having their very first Last Supper. And they're sitting there and they're all eating. And after supper, Jesus said, one of you guys is about to betray me. And Peter goes, well, I know it's not me, Jesus. I mean, I know it's not me. Don't you remember when those other yahoos wouldn't get out of the boat, but I was the one who got on the water and walked with you. I could just hear Peter, I could just hear Jesus go, yeah, you're also the one that sank, Jack. But he's sitting there, he said, he goes, he goes, I'm telling you, Jesus, there is no way that I will deny you. I wouldn't betray you. Me and you are like this. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. Now, yours might not have sounded like that. Yours might sound like this. Jesus, I will never be ugly to my wife again. And then you are. Jesus, I will never be ugly to my husband again. And then you are. Jesus, I'll never doubt you in the storm again. I'll live by faith. I'll walk by faith. I'll never quit. I'll constantly. And then in the most trying time, you find yourself in a place going, where are you, God? Maybe yours didn't sound like Peter's, but it sounded like something. And Peter says, I won't ever deny you. I won't ever betray you. And Jesus goes, you're going to deny me before you hear a rooster three times. Sure enough, that night, Peter denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. And when he does, in that moment, could you imagine the amount of conviction you would feel? Knowing that you didn't just betray your best friend. You didn't just betray a good man, a holy man, a rabbi, a man who you'd seen done miracles. You betrayed the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The son of the living God, the king of kings and lord of lords. And listen, we're not picking on Peter. Can I just say this? The people in this Bible are real people and you will really see them one day. So don't ever go through the scripture saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like so-and-so because here's the deal. You may live next to them in heaven. If you start talking, I can't believe Peter betrayed Jesus. I'd have never done that. That Peter, boy, he's a rascal. Well, guess where you're going to live? You're going to live on on, on Peter Avenue in heaven. And and you're going to sit there and and Peter's going to be the first one out there to pick up uh, the the heavenly times every morning. And he's going to be saying, hello, brother Johnny. Do I still look like a rascal? Don't make fun of the people in the Bible. They're real people. So anyway, uh, Peter says, I'll never do it. And then he does it. And he, he's under overwhelming conviction. He's over un- overwhelming conviction. And the Bible says that on the first uh, day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. Praise God. Jesus rose from the dead. And when he did, uh, he sent an angel to make sure that the disciples knew 
that Jesus had risen from the dead. But he didn't just say, tell the disciples. He said, tell my disciples and tell Peter that I've risen. Because the thing is, in your worst moment, you'll find out that he's still calling you back. In your most difficult time, you'll find out that he's still the one who's reaching furthest and first to bring you home. Peter was in a place where he was so far away from God under overwhelming conviction and immediately in the most opportune moment when he couldn't have felt lower, he hears the voice say, Tell my disciples and tell Peter that I've risen. Now fast forward a little bit more because Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he was around for about 40 days before he ascended into heaven. He was on earth. He was seen by plenty of people. He was seen by people. He ate with people. He walked with people. Uh, he was, he was, uh, uh, did some more miracles. He just, he, he's just, he, he didn't just immediately leave. So he's there for about 40 days. And the Bible says that the disciples decide to go fishing one night. And they go fishing, and they're sitting there, and the Bible says that they see a man on the beach, and, and, and they're fishing, and the man says, have y'all caught anything? And they said, no, we hadn't caught anything. He said, well, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. Did you know there's a wrong side of your boat? There's a side of your life that seems right, that seems okay. But if you constantly throw your nets on the wrong side of the boat, you'll pull up nothing but air and water. But if you'll do what the master says and throw your nets on the right side of the boat, you can live the abundant life that Jesus paid for. So he says, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. So they do because they're fishermen. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been fishing, you will listen to any tip from anybody. Meaning if you're going to academy and you're like, you're, you're sitting there and, and you're, you're looking because there's 8 million different fishing lures and somebody just walks up and goes, man, I caught some big fish on that yellow lure right there. You're like, give me 10 of them. <laughs> now this guy hadn't been fishing in 20 years and he had, you know, when he did go fishing, it was in, in his grandpa's stock pond that had 8 million fish in it and they would have bit anything. They would have bit, you know, a blank hook if they wanted to. But you hear a little fishing tip and man, you're in it. The best fishing tips I've ever heard from, by the way, come from game wardens. Game wardens know where the fish are because they're always writing tickets to people who caught too many fish so they know where the too many fishing holes are. So they knew. So they, they heard this tip come from the beach and they said, well, yeah, as good as any, we hadn't caught anything. So they throw their nets out and the Bible says that they begin to experience what Peter experienced in Luke chapter number five whenever the net was starting to break and they couldn't pull the fish in for the overwhelming blessing that Jesus was putting on his disciples in that moment. It's overwhelming, about to sink the boat and all of a sudden, John's sitting there pulling it up. John's the disciple whom Jesus loved, if you ask John, and he's pulling it up just like this, pulling, 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 and he looks over at Peter and goes, Hey man, that's got to be Jesus over there. Jesus goes, I mean, Peter goes, drops the net, takes his shirt off, ties it on his waist, waist, dives in the water and swims to the beach. Because only when you've experienced the place where Peter was, where you've denied Jesus, You've gone away from God. You you did exactly what you said you wouldn't do. Only when you've been in that place. Only when you've been the place where you seem and you feel as far away from God as imaginable. Only when you've been there and you've heard Him call your name. Do you realize how much He loves you? 
It's in that moment and from that day on. If you find Jesus on the water, you'll try to walk. If you find Jesus on the beach, you'll try to swim. If you find Jesus in church, you'll be in church. If you find Jesus at Kroger, we'll go to Kroger. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I'm going. That's how it is with a disciple. We constantly and always press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ because we are practicing this thing. The 10% of our life that people see, it's not the 90% that stabilizes us. It's not the stuff that holds us true and fast. It's not the hope that anchors our soul. The 10% that people see, that's the bonus for them. But that 90% is earned whenever you have sores and calluses on your knees because you refuse to doubt God in the midst of your trial. God is not wondering if you're going to get the victory. He's wondering if you know you're going to get the victory. God's not wondering if he's going to move on your behalf. He's wondering how much longer before they believe I'm going to move on their behalf. He's no respecter of persons. If he did it for one, he'll do it for another. The Bible says that Peter, whenever he first met Jesus, fell on his face. Fell on his face and says, you've got to get away from me. Because I'm a sinner. You've got to get away from me because I've gone away from the things of God. And Jesus didn't offer up condemnation. Did you know the world pretty much already knows it's condemned? They just need a Savior. Instead of Jesus saying, well, here's the Ten Commandments, Peter. I'm going to need you to hit these for six weeks straight. And if you can do all of these for six weeks straight, then here's the thing. You might be able to come to my church. He said, follow me. Peter follows him. Realizes that Jesus is not the one who condemns. He's the one who was sent here to seek and to save that which was lost. And in the difficult times, Peter was still working his faith. In the upper room and again I know Peter sometimes can get a bad rap because he did say I'll never forsake you I would now, unto death I'll go with you Jesus what should he have said I'm the one who will quit you God I'm the worst I'm the least I'm... no 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 we speak of things that are not as though they were Peter sure he missed it but at least he was speaking in faith In your life and in my life, don't set yourself up for failure by saying, when things get tough, I know I'm going to quit God. No, no, no. Wake up every morning and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And then when 3 o'clock in the afternoon gets there and it seems like every weapon imaginable has prospered, you say it again. No weapon formed against me It's going to prosper. I'm just Brian Hallam, but I'm a lot more than that. You see, something's value is determined by what somebody else is willing to pay for it. So if you have a house and and, and you're trying to sell it for $200,000, and then somebody comes and offers you $250,000 for the same house, what's the value of the house? $250,000 now. Unless somebody offers 275, then we're still going up. Come on, somebody. We'll have a bid war. Your price, your value is the blood 
of the Lamb of God. You are not half rate. You are not half price. You are not anything other than the righteousness of God in Christ. And a disciple learns this. Not only does he call me to follow him, he empowers me to do so. And then when you realize I'm called, I'm empowered, you don't care what it takes to get to him anymore. You'll just find a way. If you're in a boat and it appears like, man, I'm experiencing a blessing that never could be anything but incredible. And then you look up and Jesus is over there. Drop the net. Go to Jesus. I know about my life, so I can talk about my life. If I knew your story, I'd tell yours. But my family, we did not have it bad in Montgomery County. We lived one block from Lake Conroe. Fished all the time, swam all the time. Had great church family. Everything was wonderful. We're, you know, several vacations. Just, just blessed and highly favored. And God said, go to the Brazos Valley and start a church that will never end until Jesus comes back. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, Jesus, I'm over here trying to pull these blessings in. And you're over there on the beach in Brazos Valley, in the Brazos Valley. And Jesus said, yes, I am. Me and Crystal collectively said, fine by me. We're going to the Brazos County. Let me explain something. It has been the greatest joy of our life to pastor the greatest church in the world. Give yourselves a hand. God's doing something in this city. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We love you in this house. Here's the deal. The first time Peter met Jesus, he realized he was a sinner. And he experienced the favor and the blessings of God. One of the last times that we know that Peter saw Jesus physically, he was experiencing the blessings and the favor of God. But instead of feeling like he wasn't worth anything, Now he felt like, Jesus over there, he must want me to get over there to him. Now he's not feeling, get away from me, God. And listen, I understand that idea. It it even even sounds like like a reasonable thought. He's God. He flung the stars in the sky. But here's the thing. When you do that, when you say, God, no, no, no. You're saying, the blood of Jesus is not enough. Listen to me. The blood of Jesus is more than enough. Where you see Jesus, you run to Him. Last point I want to make. Stand to your feet if you would, please. This world is filled with religion and this world is filled with freedom. I recommend freedom over religion. Freedom is knowing that He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Freedom is knowing that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. Religion says, A, B, C. If you do these things, then you earn this, this, and this. But Jesus is not something you can earn. He is a gift given unto the world for the salvation of many. So our scenario is simple. Uh, the Religion says this, that you, you should live with a performance based identity 
Meaning, okay, I helped three uh, people across the street yesterday. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I, I stubbed my toe and I cussed, but I only said one cuss word instead of two. So that's only a negative one. It's not a negative two. Uh, so, okay, so, so I helped three people, negative one. So I'm still at a positive two. And then if I do this, then I, and everything is based off your performance and you're wishy-washy and you're trying to believe God, but you feel bad all the time and you're trying to measure yourself. And when you walk through the doors of the church, you're sitting there going, well, I wish I could worship, but I know I did all this wrong and I know I did all this wrong. That is a performance-based identity. And if it was based on your performance, you would fail miserably every single time. No offense. It is the cross of Calvary that changed everything in entity and everything in anything. So please, let's do this. Let's get rid of the performance-based identity and develop an identity-based performance. Here's who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible says that you are clothed in Christ. You put Jesus on when you said yes to Him. You have become this new creation. You're this new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Think of Prince William from over in England. If he walked in those doors right there, would you expect him to walk in with flip-flops, a tank top, and some mirrored sunglasses? He's a prince. I would say he'd probably walk in in a really nice suit, maybe even wearing a crown. I don't know. But his identity was not formed in how well he has performed. You can watch him in the news. These guys are nuts. They go crazy over there. But, but, but what I'm saying is their identity, they were born into it. They didn't perform their way into it. This is not like a test where you're going to somehow be good enough to get saved or be good enough to be called by God or to be good enough to experience the blessings and favor of God. No, no, no. It's who you are. You're a child of God. It is your identity. It's who you are. It's what He paid for. You didn't earn your way into it. You were born again into it. The first Adam brought death. The last Adam, Jesus, brought life. And when you said yes to him, your identity changed, Peter. You're no longer the one who has to say, get away from me. I'm not righteous. I'm not holy. You're the one that says, is that Jesus over there? I'm gone. Is Jesus over there? I'm going this way. You begin to perform based off of who you are and stop trying to determine who you are by your performance. Your righteousness is but filthy rags, so says the Bible. But a disciple, a disciplined one, constantly and ever and always presses towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. We don't stop. We don't slow down. We don't look back. We don't look sideways. We stay focused. Not because our performance will earn our way to heaven, but because heaven is who we are now. We're a part of the kingdom. We're an ambassador. Here's the deal. If you sin tomorrow, repent. Turn away from it. Nobody's turning a blind eye to sin here. It's the house of God. If you sin, repent. But don't spend the next month soaking about it because there's a lot of people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that will hear it from you. But if you spend your six months soaking about it, they won't hear. Disciple. Disciplined one. Living a life where I realize who I am. Therefore, I can believe God in the storm and on the mountaintop. 
Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.